0: Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 941. Uh, hey, in April, I'm going to be performing at uh, Comedy Works in Denver and then also Comedy on State in Madison, Wisconsin. So uh, I'm bringing Mike Furman and April Richardson with me in April. Uh, beginning of April for Denver, end of April for Madison. So, uh, go, go to their respective websites until I can figure out a way to put all my info on some new website that I'll have to make at some point. Uh, yeah. So come out and see that Katie, I feel like there's a community corkboard action over there. Corkboard at ID10t.com. Uh, what do you got?
1: I got a couple cool things. Uh, so Zany Do Designs is a site that sells awesome and adorable shirts. It started as a hobby and turned into a full time job. They have dozens of shirts for men, women, kids, babies, plus hats, pins, bags, and more. They're really silly and fun. I was I, we got sent this, and I was looking, being like, "Oh my god, I got to buy my nephew one of these." They're great. They was like, he likes dinosaurs, and uh-huh. they have some dinosaur ones. Okay, perfect. So you can find them at. Zany Do Designs and that's just du.com and then Paul Winchell writes I wanted to send this along as it is for a friend whose dog needs help and of course that caught my attention of
0: course <laughs> two months <laughs> <So> <laughs> they know is- your language this
1: is what it says uh, this is from uh, a GoFundMe it says two months ago my mom unexpectedly passed away and things have been really rough and in addition to being a single mother uh, to me and my brother she also had three cats two dogs and, a- and one Muppet-like creature named Molly uh, Molly lives in Sweden where her mom lived uh, with with family now. But unfortunately, a few days ago, uh, she received an email from the new owner saying that Molly is going blind and needs urgent surgery with all the trips back and forth to Sweden Uh, She's not able to to give any money for the new family, and the new family is having trouble paying for it, too. So she set up a GoFundMe, and you can just find it at GoFundMe.com by searching Save Molly's Eyes, and that's Molly with an I-E.
0: And they can save her eyes?
1: Yeah, yeah. They said that she just needs the surgery, but I guess it's kind of expensive. Well, how much? I don't know. They didn't say the price in the email. I know. But they did set up a GoFundMe. Okay. And and then also, just real quick, if you're in L.A. and you're looking for something fun to do this weekend, uh, the L.A. Natural History Museum is having the L.A. Nature Fest. And, uh, it's, it's really cool. I went to it last year and you can buy tickets and find out more info at nhm.org.
0: Thank you, Katie Levine. This episode is Eric Bana, who is promoting his new film, The Forgiven in theaters and VOD, uh, March 16th. Um, I loved him on this podcast because he, you know, I, I think people know now because of the internet, but he started as a comedy guy. And yeah. then when he came to the States, he, like, was like, it. <laughs> like really jumped into the serious actor, like, leading man kind of a thing. So it's, you know, not many people can do that. So it's a fascinating – he made a fascinating jump. Yeah. But uh, he was just really cool, super down-to-earth guy. So Eric Bana, The Forgiven, uh, March 16th. And also, this episode is brought to you by Spotify. So I assume if you're listening to this, you probably enjoy podcasts. So Spotify is making it easy for you to stream this podcast and many others on your mobile device, desktop app, smart speaker, whatever it is. Open the app. Open Spotify on your mobile device or desktop. Click on Browse. Uh, then click on the podcast section. You're going to be able to stay thoroughly entertained with any number of podcasts after you listen to this one, of course. (laughs) Uh, You know, whether you drive home or whether you're at work or whether you're uh, exercising or public transportation or whatever it is, Uh, enjoy your podcast now on Spotify. If you just want to stay in, you know, and if you want to keep everything in Spotify, you can absolutely do that now. And uh, thank you so much to Spotify for for hosting us and also for uh, helping to grow podcasts. Very, very, very important.
1: Yeah. No, any, any anywhere that we can add podcasts is great.
0: Yes, yeah, so thank you to More Spotify. To get it. Thank you to Spotify and thank you to Katie Levine, who is now about to roll the thing on episode 941 with Eric Bana.
1: Initiating ID10T protocol.
0: Welcome. Welcome to the home. Welcome to the house. Thank you. It's it's nice thanks for having you. me. Thanks for having me. I mean, let's... Can we start talking about...
2: Where are we going to start? I What's think, the jumping off point? I think the beginning.
0: We go back... Oh. We
2: gonna... Okay. <laughs>
0: okay. Tala Primary School. Yeah. Primary okay. School. We're going to start a primary school. <laughs> also, elementary school is, is just for the Americans Saint who don't... St. Joseph's, know. kindergarten. Yep. <laughs> but I. the thing that fascinates me about... Your career is how much of a hardcore comedy star you were Mm. before really transitioning into... And I'm sure there were a lot of Americans who, when they first saw you, had no idea. Oh,
2: for many, many years. And I'd say a vast majority still know nothing about my comedy past. When I first came here it was kind of weird because it was literally like having two existences. I'd like get off the plane and I felt like I had like my little James Bond passport for America. It's like <laughs> you will leave the comedian in locker number 102 and you will take dramatic actor from locker 104, you know. It's like people didn't know what to expect when they met me and cuz you know I'd come off the back of chopper obviously and but they didn't know about the comedy side. So and then for many years then I'd go back home and people were like what's going on with all this Dramatic shit you're doing, mate. What are, you, what are you trying... What sort of swift are you trying to pull? You know? So I always felt like a swindler in both... Right. ...both countries.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, and and in general, like, Aussie dudes are not going to let you get away with anything. They're not
2: going to get away for, with anything forever.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. so no matter what you're trying to do, oh, what do you think you're doing over there? What is that? They, they, I had this old character
2: who was like... a uh, what we call a bogan which is like a redneck character who was much beloved and is a this lot of poita yeah. poita and, and and it's almost like they it's like they feel the need to remind me of poita almost like it's almost like a bit of pride but it's also like in my eyes mate don't think you're ever going to move on from that you know what i mean it's kind of like a it's very endearing and and i used i used to get offended and then i just went no no that's actually to be known for, for For a character you created, I mean you know how hard it is like so um, now I just now I just think it's awesome. you know for for a period of time I was like, hang on a second, you
0: need to study my films right you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, But comedy I mean like to do a sketch comedy show for Frontal. For like four years, I think you did that show. Mm. I mean, that is not an easy existence. Like like sketch comedy over and over and over and over and over again is ridiculous training.
2: Yeah, and I was doing, uh, you know, touring my stand-up at the same time. So I was doing both in parallel, did the stand-up first, then got into sketch comedy. But really found my writing feet in the sketch comedy. And I found I was a lot more prolific in that environment because I just loved having a foil. I love having someone to bounce off. I love having the, the, the luxury of, like, just, you know, telling them what sort of set was required. Right. You know, you write something on a bit of paper and it would just happen. And we did sketch comedy really well in Australia. Like, in, in its heyday, and that was probably the last, you know, really good sketch comedy show that w- w- was that one. And so we are great directors. The crews were phenomenal. We could, we could rip off a movie so well, so cheaply. Like, we could do looks really well that were really highly skilled. So it was a really great time. It really was. That's
0: fantastic. I mean, it it really... It's so funny that you got to almost... You've gotten to experience both sides. And it must be interesting to be like, wow, dramatic actors really get treated a lot differently than comedians get treated, you know? Well, yeah, it's
2: true. And it's interesting, the perception thing. Like, I've always... Said that if I had my career in America, it would never have happened because I would have been a guy out of SNL trying to break it in drama, and no one would. Well, occasionally someone breaks through, but there is so much baggage there, um, you know. And when I came here, it was sort of pre-internet, really, in terms of you know wide, wide Great. stream accessibility. So um, I had a kind of clean slate, and no one really knew anything about the sketch comedy, or if it was too hard for them to find. Um, but does that make sense? So, so yeah. you kind of like, you do get to sort of start afresh. And no, certainly no audience member is going, hang on a second, I don't buy this. Right. Because there's no other image of you in their head.
0: Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah it's because when you're so closely, you know, like the pointer character that you're talking about, when you're so closely associated as one thing, even though you'd think, well, if people really like you, they'd want you to succeed, they'd want you to do well, they'd want you to move on but they need to own that like they need right, to say like right. no 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 you got to be this guy to me now yeah. you, you, what's you,
2: comfortable you. for them you yes. know, and they and they it made them laugh and so they want they want more of it they want more and more and more of it i mean i still get, i mean it's 20 years and i still get people saying you know you should do something as poet i'm like what's look, it's probably not going to happen <laughs> it's it's probably not going to happen now <laughs> you know i did actually have a crazy thought about 5 years ago i started thinking you could i reckon i could actually write a film uh, you know, for for pointer, I reckon I could,
0: I could actually write something pretty. And I went, oh, "Don't be stupid! I don't, mean, don't be stupid!" I don't know. Listen, you could you could totally get away with it. I mean, it might just play in Australia yeah. if if internet. Although with the internet now, people. They must have seen a ton of clips. I mean, there's a ton of Possibly. clips online. I don't.
2: I actually don't think I'd, I'd. You know, in terms of political correctness, I wouldn't get away with the character because oh, gotcha. he could just say whatever the hell he wanted. That was the beauty of him. Um, so I, I don't actually think he would play in 2018.
0: I mean, every once in a while, America gets an Aussie export. You know, like we had Yahoo Sirius for a while. We had. We got some Jacko. <laughs> Uh, we had Jacko, you know, like every once in a while, like one of them popped over here, but it was such a, it was such a specific character. Quirky. quirky. Very quirky. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I also want, because I, I dated an Australian girl for four years and I spent time in Australia and I, and I love it, but it definitely, you know, a, a America's view of like what an Australian person is, is mm. so um, unsophisticated. skewed and unsophisticated yeah. and, you know, and that's of course those people are there, but that's obviously not the full scope of what's over there. Sure, I mean, is that is that frustrating in a way, or do you find it sort of charming?
2: Uh, it's frustrating in the sense that you know that we still well, I don't, but people still try and sell us that way, right? Um, and but in actual fact, we're very European, you know, in a lot in a lot of ways. So it's 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 kind of I don't, but I guess we sort of have to promote those things that we think other people are interested in right but um i don't think it's truly representative of of most
0: australians i mean it's such a it's such a stunning place Mm. it i mean even though you can't inhabit most of that (laughs) that (laughs) continent it is sort of like almost donut shaped in a way because you don't you can't really go in the middle of it right i mean like Alice springs it's just all uninhabitable sure sure we don't have enough water for everyone. There's not enough water. There's yeah. not enough water for everyone. We're,
2: we're not far behind Cape Town, you know, um, in terms of water supply and things like that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting place
0: geographically, there's no doubt about it. So when you – did you, start, you said you started doing stand-up. Mm. Did you continue to do stand-up through the sketch show or did you kind of – was it just a hard turn and like, I'm not going to do this? I
2: anymore. was still doing stand-up when I did Chopper.
0: Oh, really? I, because, you know, I
2: was, not, I was not earning any money as, a, as an actor. And I, I did Chopper. And I, the film took nearly two years to come out. I was still touring. I was still doing shows, you know, right up until after Chopper was released in Australia just to survive. Um, so it wasn't until well after that that I then stopped and then sort of jumped the fence and didn't look back. But, yeah, I was doing all together was probably about 10 years worth before Damn. I stopped.
0: And then eventually someone tapped you on the shoulder and said, you're too handsome to be a (laughs) stand-up.
2: No, it sure was now. that you get to – I, I don't even know if I could do the – it's the touring that does my head. Even if I see photos like now on, on Instagram or Twitter of some of my stand-up mates from Australia who I worked with back back in those days and who I wrote with in sketch comedy, still touring, you know, similar venues and going to RSL clubs and I'll see a photo and I'll just start sweating. <laughs> I'll just be like, oh, my God, oh, all those plastic seats, all those plastic chairs and he's in the corner and the mic's going to be shitty and they're going to have the poker machines in the background and
0: the oh. light it won't be good and uh, yeah so That's that crazy. was some that was some of the gigs like what what's the comedy club scene because I've never done I've always wanted to go do like the Melbourne Comedy Festival but I've right. never I've never actually performed in Australia so what is the what is the stand up scene like there I actually don't know what it's like but I, th- I think touring's always been pretty
2: rugged you know I think it really only the, 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 the great survive on the road right <laughs> because some of those gigs really are I mean you're really shoved in a corner and it's you know turn the chairs around and Poker machines running in the background and all the best of luck. Um, but t- when I started in the early 90s, was very lucky because Melbourne was definitely going through a big stand-up renaissance and it was really popular and there were a lot of great rooms around. And that was before they legalized poker machines or slot machines, Got it. sorry, into the state of Victoria that I live in. And that really changed the live music scene, stand-up comedy scene um in a big way because suddenly all these venues were like, well, we can't make money out of someone telling a joke. We just got to fill this room with slot machines. Right. Um, And that sort of slowly turned around. The government, you know, brought in legislation. They had to spend a certain amount per week on live entertainment. Okay. Stuff like that. So there's not as many rooms as there were back in the day, but it's still, still, you know, relatively vibrant, but not like it used to be.
0: I mean, yeah, it's... Comedy is funny when for people who don't really understand how it works, so they go, "Oh, just put the comedian over there." <laughs> like, well, it does help if the audience yes. is somewhat forced to be engaged in the show yeah. and not like having to compete with, you know. I'm sure there's just like the drunken louts at the back and the and uh, music and the TVs on and the poker yeah. machines like that. That really, that's just more like and also the dance floor there's i reckon there is there's like
2: a sacred amount of space between you and the first audience member right and if it's 3 inches too many, you're dead. Check out, yeah, you're, you're dead. It's like this invisible. It's like a twilight zone where suddenly the audience feels like they no have no longer have to be involved. or right with what you're doing, and they're now watching television.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's
2: just a couple of centimeters difference.
0: Yeah, in those situations, I would always just jump off the stage and just like stand right, right in front right. of people. Be like, I will force <laughs> you to pay attention to this because you really do need. You really do kind of need the right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they need to feel accountable, and they need to be engaged, and they need to be tightly packed together. Yeah, you can't have people spread out.
2: Yeah, you're sticking your neck out; they need to stick their neck out.
0: That's right. You know, we're in this together. Anytime anyone at a show feels too much like an individual, you're kind of fucked (laughs) (laughs) because they they really need to be a group.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And I think good um, stand-up comedy promoters, tour managers, really understand that. And you turn up to a venue, and they would like be pushing chairs forward. You know what I right. mean? Like good, really good people would always understand that because you're right, you turn to a venue and there's like a dance floor between you and, uh, you know, you're doing a corporate gig and there's like 30 feet between you and the first person. Like, no, this is not going to work. Did you work. do
0: corporate gigs too? Did you do I this? Did, yeah, yeah, I did.
2: Um, yeah, I did quite a bit. Quite a bit, yeah.
0: They're great because they pay well, but they pay well because they They're can hard. be kind of soul crushing. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're going into their territory. Yeah. They're probably being forced to be there and they don't need some guy talking about stuff that they don't give a shit about. They just want to serve their time at that yeah. function and get out of there. There's a
2: great uh, Irish Australian comedian called Jim Owen who was is super prolific, and I worked with back in the day. And I remember him saying, "You don't learn your craft at a stand up comedy venue. You learn your craft in doing corporate gigs." And he was kind of right because basically saying they just it's too easy almost. Yeah. It's almost too easy turning up thursday night comedy night at the little hotel right um whereas you know it's a, it's a quick and a dead in the dead in the other environment
0: winning over an indifferent crowd yeah <laughs> a crowd who is innately yeah. against you yeah.
2: is a that's a real that's a real feat i think there's two sides that. i do agree with pa- partly what he's saying but i i also disagree in a way because i feel like great comic material can only be crafted with a little bit of a little bit of love in the room,
0: right? You know, right, to be a right, little right, bit right. of wiggle room, you know? right? Well, yeah, because you you are forming a relationship with your audience, so they they need and to... material, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you ever miss it? Do you ever think about just ah just for fun, I'll go up and do some time, or is it too? Would it be too weird to do it now?
2: I reckon I miss it like a retired boxer misses getting hit. Got it. <laughs> So like I think to myself, it would be great to punch that bag and hit that speedball and jump rope like Rocky. And then someone would punch you in the head and you go, oh, I remember that now. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I think, I think I want to do it every now and then. The best thing for me to watch was the great Jerry Seinfeld documentary from a few years ago. Comedian. Comedian. That was just like a real reality check for anyone who's ever given up comedy and wants to get back, to just, like, show, well, no, like, there's no shortcuts. Like, it's it's just, you're back to square one.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but you're, and you and you have to be a certain, you have to be really hungry for it. And you, 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 you can't, I don't think you could do it. Like, Seinfeld couldn't still do it if he didn't, if he didn't still sure. have that thing in him. Or even, like, when, when Joan Rivers was still alive and still doing gigs at 79. Right. Still had that hunger. But if you don't have it, it's just like, I don't want to leave the house tonight. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need to get out. I don't need that. And
2: just that understanding. You know, I'm teaching my son how to drive. And, I, and recently I said to him, the um, you, you thing think about driving, it's similar to stand-up comedy in that it doesn't matter how well you've driven every time before today. When you hop in that car, you can still have an accident. Yes. It means nothing. Whatever you've done in a car means nothing in the moment. Nothing at all. That's I don't care if you're a race true. car driver. I don't care if you've been driving for 50 years. You are still at the mercy of being hit by another vehicle or you hitting someone. And stand-ups are the same. It's like they don't care how many gigs you've done. <laughs> they don't care who you are. This, you this
0: one played really well a couple nights ago. No, Doesn't matter. No, we're starting from scratch. <laughs> but see, that's I think that's kind of where you have some advantage, though, is that – if people don't know you have a comedy background, they wouldn't expect you to be that funny. Right. And so the, their expectations are probably – My American tour. Eric Banner on, on stage and live <laughs> in America beginning –
2: what are we in? March? March
0: 16. we will be at the Comedy Works in Denver. <laughs> you can also catch him at the Comedy Store. Yeah. I mean it is – a it, 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 it the fun thing about doing stand-up is that it's always there if you needed it. If you really right. felt like you know what, I really got to get back out of there. It's always gonna, it's always gonna be. It's there. always there to terrify you. Yeah, 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 exactly. But when did when you started getting more dramatic roles? Um, did it did it kind of feel like okay, I drop I- that puppy? Like that was not <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, I hope not. Are they gonna find out? Are
2: they gonna find out? Are they gonna find out who I really am? <laughs> uh, no, I'm. I'm. Well, I kind of had to move pretty quick, and, and I also. You know, when I came here, a lot of people were like, you're going to do a comedy, are you? Like, you you, you have to go on SNL. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I I was, I couldn't believe I was being given the opportunity to do dramatic stuff. And there was nothing I was going to do to arrest that momentum. So right. I, was, I was not going to take the risk of trying to do the party trick thing. And luckily, I, I, I felt sort of um, comfortable enough to not sort of try and muddy the waters, do you know what I mean? Because right, I right, think right. if I had tried to do that early on, I do think it would have had a had an effect on my momentum. So have
0: you done speak. SNL ever? Never. See, now you could do it. Just let me pitch you an idea, and you can certainly hate this idea. But if you do it now, first of all, you're totally safe. Like your your you, that's not in danger of happening anymore. That thing you were worried about for, and. Uh, you could just you could pull Poita out of the trunk just one time, just as a just as a test to see how people respond to it. The wig no longer exists. <laughs> there and are other wigs. the wig, I does am it nothing. have to be that wig? It's that wig.
2: It's that wig or nothing. You know, actually, actually, that may be a lie. I think it's scrunched in the bottom of one of my kids' <laughs> toy boxes from when they were little. It may, it may exist as like a dead animal somewhere in the house. You're going to find it, and okay. you're just going to, you're
0: just going to put it on, and, just uh, like, and there'll be like three it.
2: Australians in the audience going,
0: "Yay! Finally!"
2: I'm telling you, man. I'm telling <laughs> you. Everyone else going, "What? I think, this is not I, funny." I think
0: it's out there. I re- I think it's out there somewhere. <laughs> so when did uh, so going from chopper? Like how did how did Hulk fit into everything? I mean, I don't I don't really remember. Like, was there an was there an exhaustive search for the for that role, or did they? Did you meet with Ang Lee, or how I, did
2: it? I I don't know what the background to me getting involved was. I was shooting Black Hawk Down in right. in Morocco, the Ridley Scott film, and when those first calls came through from my agent and. Um, I was really sort of on the fence and I didn't think it was what I wanted to do next and blah, blah, blah. And then I actually, I must have come to LA after after that film because I then met with Aang with and with James Sheamus, and then I went back to Australia and did a little Australian film called, called The Nugget. And it was during that time that I, that it came about, that, you know, it all sort of happened. Um, so that's the order. So it was, it was, it was, uh, chopper then then black hawk down mm-hmm. which was my first american film and then from black hawk down to
0: to the hulk got it got it got yeah. it and also with an accent your last name sounds like banner right if you throw an r on the
2: on the end of it yeah banner yeah, banner banner was <laughs> it fun did you like doing a superhero movie uh, no, I didn't. I didn't have fun, but I think that's well, very well documented. Is it? I yeah. don't know. I
0: didn't. I didn't read any of that stuff.
2: Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't have a, have a great time. Uh, it was an interesting experience, but no, it was not. It was not a fun time.
0: And so, was that the first time? So that's that. Actually, I think is a pretty fascinating in the sense that you're starting to work more. You're starting to work in America, mm. and then you know, Black Hawk Down obviously was a big was a big break. But then that's also kind of a big break. So are you starting to feel like? oh, man, this thing that I thought, mm. it's not everything that it's cracked up to be. Mm. Or what What did you learn from that experience? Well, I guess, you know, you sort of
2: learn, okay, I have to just keep seeking the actor's experience. You know what I mean? It was, um, so it was it was kind of different to what I was expecting in a lot of ways. Um, but at the same time, I was there to serve the master. You know, sure. you're there to do your job for, for the director. So in, in that sense, you're kind of doing what you need to do. But on the other hand, you're sort of going, oh, it doesn't feel like the sort of work that I've done or that I want to keep doing. So then you're just kind of more aware as you're moving forward of choosing things that are, that are more attuned to that. And I think that takes time. I think you have to have the, the, give yourself the licence to kind of move around a bit and re, re, re-jig. And um, so after a few few films, I kind of worked out, I sort of calibrated what sort of material, what sort of films I would do my best work in Mm -hmm. what sort of films I would be interested in um, and sort of just fine tune that a little bit.
0: Right. Got it. And was there anything that you, because again, it is so fascinating that you had this whole other career that just existed independently. Was there anything from that experience that was helpful to this new
2: path? No, I think it made it more frustrating because, you know, I went from being a storyteller to then... You know, being you know someone else's uh, puppet's not not the word I guess as an actor, but you are kind of. That was the biggest adjustment, regardless of what film I was working on or what character I was doing. That you've gone from self-generated material right. and, and a truly creative through process. It's a pretty fast track from you know a conception to to delivery and feedback. Right. So suddenly you're on the slowest train that's ever moved <laughs> in the history of mankind. <laughs> And you're delivering material that's that you haven't written. So that took me a while to sort of adjust to, for sure. I'm still adjusting to that in so, in in some ways. Um, and then you work out ways of you know uh, informing your work in a more creative fashion, so that you're getting that out of your system but you're not really so right. so there is no substitute for writing your own material and, and doing your own work um, so that's that has always been something that that's taken a, a bit of adjustment
0: but did you in those Times did you ever just go write stuff just for yourself to just kind of get the, that part of your creative side out?
2: Yeah, and, and my brain still thinks as a sketch comedy writer. You know, I still see the day in four or five sketches that, that, you know, every time something bad happens on television, it's just, I still process it like I'm a writer on a sketch comedy show. It's like that's how my brain works. Um, so it does help to still do that, and, and that's not something I can control. It's just how my how my mind works, yeah. how I observe things, and I think that's you know part of what makes my work as an actor easy because that's just what my brain is doing all the time. You know? right. and so it's constantly making decisions on behalf of a character. You know, what would that person say next, and what, why are they speaking like that? And um, so I think the two are actually pretty closely aligned. Yeah. And that's what enabled me to make the jump, I think, from one to the other. Well, that's
0: cool because it, I mean, it's funny that, because um, you know, the, uh, the Oscars just happened and, you know, it's like the actor. It's so funny how, you know, how celebrated actors are. But when it comes down to it, the actor in a film doesn't have a lot of power in t- unless they're like a huge, pu- you know, unless obviously you get to a certain point where you do have some control. But in general, you really are at the mercy of a lot of other things that you can't control. You know, like the PR, how it's marketed, the sound, the lighting, the other actors, the director, the producers, and so you know, relinquishing control. I would imagine is you—it's a whole other learning curve. Yeah,
2: I, and I think one thing I learned as I went along was was um, if it's not on the page, it's not there. You know, this notion that you read something and someone says, uh, you know, don't—it's—it's it's pretty good. Like, don't panic too much. You know, we're going to work on that. It's, we're going to. Going to build it up, and it's going right. to be there. If it's not on the page, it ain't there. Because actually, it's the reverse. Like I think once a film is greenlit, so much of that work stops, and it's just the energy gets funnelled towards the locomotive. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So that that was that was another thing that 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 I learned as I went was that's like really okay. If it's not if it's not there when I read it, I can't expect some amazing. No actor is so great that they can transform. You know, a boring script into something mesmerizing, right? I, I, it just doesn't happen, you know. Right, right, right. Um, so, yeah, I, my biggest respect is for writers. You know, I, I it's, it's got to be there. It's got to be there on the page. Very few directors, I think, can you know mega elevate material. I think some can do a great job of capturing it and elevating it a little bit, but writing is where it's at. There's no doubt.
0: Yeah, but, but you know, as a comedian. You have this ravenous little monster inside you that needs to eat up the, live, the feedback, the attention. Mm. And so then you start working on film. You start doing dramatic stuff. Are you having to fight the urge to, like, play to a crowd or not get reactions and, st- and stay in a moment? Because you really – you know, comedy is you – know, there's a lot of fourth wall stuff because you're expecting a laugh or you're expecting something. So are you fighting that urge? You know, did you initially fight that urge to, and, to just be able to focus on a dramatic scene?
2: Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I, I think this sounds really weird, right? But I think I had a I had a sense of what used to work for me. And so I would process an idea, and so I I do this now. Like, if I think of something that I think is funny and I process the idea, and it's almost like I run the sketch in my head, and then I sit back and go, Yeah, that's pretty funny. Or I go, No, that's actually a stupid idea. And then I just sort of move on. So it's almost like I I have the gig in my head.
0: You do, got it. Yeah. Does that make any sense at all? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, your brain's still running through the motions. And I kind of occupying its attention in that way, and then you can kind of focus yeah. On whatever or I go
2: home too. and I try it on my son, who's a very harsh critic, or my <laughs> daughter, or my wife, and it gets a laugh, and I go, "Good, cool, <laughs> I can move on." I did not have to go and make a show. I did not have to go on tour. I got my little bit of feedback, right? You know? um, it sounds ridiculous, but it's actually it's actually true. Um, but as an actor, yeah, it it is the the the, the hardest thing for me was um, doing a scene. And then have a director say, um, "I want you to try this," and you would say, "I just, I just did that." And they're like, "I know, but come and have a look on, on the playback." And you'd look at the playback, and they were right. It's like it's not there, but it was in me. Sure, it's like you've 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 felt it and you've you you've you've done it, but it didn't read on camera as so, as the thing that you thought it was reading. At. Right, right, right. You know, so that was a that's that's a trip when that happens because you're. As 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 the person who's like playing that character, you're totally in the moment and um, doing what what that character is doing, and you're feeling it and all that. But it's just not reading on camera. Yeah, that's it, confusing.
0: It is, but it sounds very similar to how you can write a joke and then go, "Fuck, this is really funny," and you go do it on stage, and it just dies. Right. And you're like, "Oh, that's boy." The audience in my head loved that yeah, joke. Yeah. You know, like you really. So I imagine in those instances you probably just have to trust... You have to work with people that you trust. Oh, absolutely, trust.
2: yeah. And I, and, and I take it on board. Like, I, And I can usually also see it myself. Like, if I see playback of something that's not... I'd be like, no, 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 let me do that again. You know, yeah. For sure.
0: Yeah. So, uh, after... Was Troy next after Hulk? What was it? It was, yes. And that did really uh, well. Was it Troy? Yes, it was.
2: Yes, yes, yes.
0: Yeah. And so what... I mean was this, at this point are people just handing you scripts and or, or are you still actively looking for a certain type of thing or what's happening in your career at this point?
2: I was really really director focused when I, when I first started I still am, but I just because back in the heyday back in those days when you know almost everything that got sent your way was being made, it was an amazing time for all actors because it was you know to some degree it was like a smorgasbord like you got sent stuff everything was being made it was like a case of sifting through and finding the thing you wanted to do to a certain degree Um, I'm very grateful that I started when I started because it's not like that anymore Um, so uh, did I get sidetracked by your question I'm trying to remember so yes I was very very director focused because I figured all the great material goes to the best directors um, and that's who I wanted to work with so you know, I went from Ridley Scott to Ang Lee to Wolfgang Peterson. After that, I'm pretty sure was Lucky You, which didn't do great, but it was Curtis Hansen. Um, so I was very, very much focused on, you know, working with the best directors that I could.
0: Are you good at letting something go in terms of, you said, oh, the last one, did, you know, Lucky You didn't do as well. Are are you still okay with that as a performer you go you know what i did what i you know you can't control too much
2: yeah but you have to so long as you learn from it like you know if i look back and i go okay well why didn't it work okay well was it was what you expected to be on the page did you have a good working relationship with the director did you both elevate it like what happened like i saw i I will i will do a post game (laughs) i will do a little post game chat with myself um and and you know you try and not repeat, try and not repeat the same mistake. Try and try and work out which elements lent it to being not great or boring or whatever, and then try and tr- try and make sure you don't make the exact same mistake uh, again.
0: Are you fatalistic, or are you pretty good about? In other words, like if something doesn't pan out as well as you had hoped. Are you like, oh, God, it's all ruined. Oh, I'm never going to work again. Or are you kind of like, oh, you know, just uh, pick up and then move on? Oh, and then. I look like look, I'm
2: human. I can oscillate. I'm generally pretty positive And I'm, I've am i always been okay at having a really, really long-term view. So I try not to get really myopic about, like, the you know, the next two months and the next six months and just try and be philosophical about playing the long game. Yes. Um because I, I actually wouldn't have got here if I if if I had have aimed for success. Do you know what I mean? It's right. like I, I think just having short-term goals and just trying to work out what's working and what's not is, is what keeps it interesting. But no, I try not to be too – I mean there are times when I'm going to hold myself or other people to account if I think something's not gone well because someone's not doing their job or someone doesn't care enough. Or for yeah. sure, for sure. Well, the
0: long game, I think is important because if someone can really look at it as as a large story, the best part is that the ones that didn't really work out well, people forget those, mm. and then they'll just go, "Oh, and he did this, and he was in this, yeah, and he was yeah. in this you know, and if something doesn't connect well it's you know it's it's likely that people just forget about it, and they'll just focus on like. They'll focus on the greatest hits, you know?
2: Right. It's like cutting through a fatty steak. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I'll just put that gristle aside. <laughs> and that's another good bit there. That's a little well done on the edge there, but ooh, a bit of medium rare. Yeah.
0: Well, everything is so... I think particularly when anyone sets out to do anything, their their ideas about success or their ideas, that everything's so black and white. It's got to be all this or mm-hmm. it's not this and it's got... And you know, light everything is so much more complicated than that. Even when something can be a tremendous success, it doesn't mean that it comes without, you know, downsides or attachments of of, of sorts. But I, I don't know—is that were you were you always able to kind of see it that way, or did you did you did you have to learn that through kind of the comedy stuff?
2: Uh, I think I think I learned it two ways. I think I learned it through. Comedy. I also married the greatest woman on planet Earth who has just the most incredible outlook on life and people and has really helped me keep a really, really healthy perspective on everything. And I think living in Australia and us never really leaving Melbourne really, really helped. And I also worked out that I figured that if I tried to keep the same pace as some of my peers that I wouldn't last and that I would burn out. So I was really, really conscious of that, and, and just tried not to, tried not to work too much, tried not to constantly be away from home. Um, th- those were the things that I was really, really aware of. But no doubt, Rebecca, my wife, would, you know, ha- has had a huge hand in keeping keeping the needle, you know, <laughs> somewhat somewhat from bouncing around too much. And how long have you been together? Yeah. Uh, we've been married twenty years. Damn. Yeah, congratulations. So we got, I mean, so we got married in the comedy days, and, but we couldn't foresee all the craziness that was around the corner. So uh, whilst I was in the business, yeah, I mean, fair play. I mean, she couldn't see what was what was, nor could I. I mean, n- none of us could see what was coming. So, but
0: when it when it did, at least you had someone who could be like, can you fucking believe that? Yeah, was exactly. crazy, crazy right? We great pay the gas bill. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> what did you What did you think your life was going to be when you're coming off Full Frontal and probably around 96, 97? Did you think like, well, you know, I guess I could just, I'll just tour, I guess. Or what did you think was going to happen? Um, that's a That's a good question. I never really
2: expected to, you know, have this career. So when I got the job on Full Frontal, to me, that was like, That was like winning five Oscars. That was like, I am on the greatest sketch comedy show in Australia, working with the greatest people. I grew up watching, because the the show prior to Full Frontal uh, was a show called Fast Forward, which to this day was probably the best sketch comedy show that we ever did. And what happened was basically that group kind of burnt out, decided to move on, and so they just renamed the same show got basically it. got a new cast in. There was a bit of a handover of the baton from the old cast. When I got a job on that show, man, I was, I was as, as excited and fulfilled as I could have possibly been. So it, it wasn't like I got to the, I'm like, right, I'm just getting started. Do you know what I mean? I was right. like, I was happy. I was like, this is amazing. Um, and so I just kind of like, I sort of just bumbled along and kind of worked it out. And then I, I was working with a lot of actors on that show. And I'm like, hey, you know what? There's not a huge difference. I don't think between us and them because there's only two or three of us that were comics on the show. The rest were actors doing sketch comedy. Um, so I was like, maybe maybe there's no wall there. Maybe I can smash through there and have a go at this drama stuff because I didn't go to drama school, obviously. Um, so that's kind of how it, how it sort of happened. So I didn't really have a pie-in-the-sky vision. Um, I just kind of... Set sort of short term goals and then just kept recalibrating them as it as it went,
0: yeah, I mean that's that's crazy to think that where well, you get to this point where you go, well, this is it, this is the pinnacle right <laughs> here, and then in about four or five years it like it would explode like way beyond yeah way beyond what you would have expected,
2: but then again, what you said before is really interesting, yes, but in some ways, no, so like there's a part of your head that's going, okay, I'm really fulfilled in this way but in other ways, maybe I'm not, I'm not feeling like it's as a creative outlet. Um, you know, I got to analyze that. Like, how do I, how do I re-engage with that part of my brain? And how do I, um, how do I resolve that within myself? And like, what sort of performer do I want to be? You know? Right. You know, should I be writing directing? Should I not be doing movies? I don't know. Like, so you sort of, you, you wrestle with that as well.
0: Yeah, but no one ever teaches you. It's like we, I, for some reason, no one ever teaches kids. Uh, they, they prepare them like, well, you're going to fall down a lot. You know, life's going to bump you around. But I feel like so few people ever prepare anyone for like, if you succeed, if you get your dream job, <laughs> it can fuck you up in all these kinds yeah. of like. You need to understand that it's yeah. not gonna it's going to feel weird and it's not going to feel like everything that you had built up in your head this whole time. It's, 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 there's still shit you're going to have to deal with. That's
2: that's such a great point because in so many ways, I think success is way more isolating than failure. Mm -hmm. I really do. I think I can see how people go mad because I do think it can create uh you know, a, a monster out of out of loneliness. You mm-hmm. know, I I I do see I do see how that's possible. So I think it's a really really good point. You know, it's like, well, okay, you know, reach for the stars. What happens if you get to the stars? Yeah,
0: you know, yeah, there
2: might not be anyone else up there.
0: Exactly, and then people. And then, and then, no one has any sympathy for you. You are like, well, fuck you. Yeah. You are, you have money, and you succeed. What are you complaining yeah. about? <laughs> Which is kind of true, kind of true.
2: But at the same time, it's all st- the, the 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 opposite. That is true. You know, people do get fucked up, and people do go crazy, and people yeah, do have trouble coping with it. And you know, some can do it great, and others just, you know, it's it's not for them. So. Um, it's a really good point. Yeah.
0: Well, for you, though, you, you've, you have, it sounds like you're a pretty strong family unit and that has been able to help you stay tethered mm. and not sort of, you know, go off the map, I guess.
2: For sure. Yeah. I, I think having hobbies really helped. I, I, um, great bit of advice I got from Robert Duval on, on Lucky You. We were talking and, and I noticed he had a really great bunch of friends around him and he had a great wife and. We're talking, and I, you know, he's like one of my acting heroes, if not my greatest acting hero. And I was asking him about that period in the '70s where everyone was just dropping off the perch, and and he was like, "Got to have a hobby," you know. For him, it was horses, you know, Mm -hmm. horses, 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 horses. Always kept him grounded, and it was a similar thing with me with cars and motorcycles. So I was like, "Okay, that's that's something not to not to ever dispense with," you know. It's like you got to have something outside the business that keeps things, I hate using the word real, but just keeps you connected with reality and, and doing things and, hey, there's a lot of downtime.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, because there, there's so much about the entertainment business that is, that seems to be, that have substance but is really kind of empty. And so you can really be chasing a lot of empty things. Yeah. And then when you get there, it sort of, you know, vanishes. You're like, hey, what ha- I don't feel, I'm, I'm not better. Mm. You know, but to actually have real, like you're saying, real world things... Like the, those are those are real things, tangible things that you they can also, focus your attention on.
2: They also really keep you. They actually really do keep you connected to reality in 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 ways that other things can't. You know, like so for me, if I'm working on something, I'm rebuilding something. I've now got to go out to the wreckers. I've now got to go out to the place that's machining the flywheel for my car. I've now got to go and to the gearbox place. I've now got to go and get a universal joint. I've got to go and do all that stuff. Yeah. And I'm encountering people from all different walks of life that are within the motor trade. And, okay, yeah, I walk in and they kind of go, what the hell? And then suddenly you're just a customer at the counter who's has right. a universal joint. And now you're just having a completely normal conversation about football, politics, whatever, you know. So, but if I didn't do that, I, where's my access to all that stuff? Right. You know. I can see how people can become really isolated and suddenly you're not having those interactions anymore.
0: Well, yeah, and also you know, in that, when you walk into like an auto parts shop or a junkyard like, you're not at the top of the heap, you know it's like, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're like, there, there are people who are, you know, way above you in that sense, so it's it's good to you know, kind of be lower on the pecking order in that way, yeah. and it doesn't matter how famous you are, you still have to get a flywheel or a this or yeah, that. you still like, going to know what you're talking about. You still have to know what you're talking about, because yeah. if you it's yeah. almost like if you don't you're more of an asshole cuz like this guy who the fuck does he think he is coming yeah. in here yeah. trying to do stuff. God <laughs> fuck that guy. Yeah. Put the wig back on, you know? It's like there's almost more expectations. Yeah. Are you
2: you actually are you building cars? Yeah, I'm all, I've got a couple of old things that I'm just always rebuilding or redoing or um building from scratch or whatever. So um yeah, it, it keeps me keeps me occupied. It keeps my brain ticking over.
0: Is it cla- is it a specific type of classic car? All that you're old like- stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got an old, really old pickup truck, and I've got an old muscle car. The muscle car I've had my whole life, and I just continue to work on it and tinker away and try and perfect it. And yeah, I'm always you know rebuilding something or, or helping you know mates do their things. Um, got a little workshop that I go to, and when things are quiet, I just you know go in and tinker. Oh
0: my god, it just. The idea that you've so you 've had the same muscle car for most of your life yeah
2: i've had it I bought it when I was fifteen and i 'm now forty nine Holy shit mm-hmm.
0: you know what 's incredible about that is that it's oh man that's so that 's such a metaphor for life it 's like you it's like you 're you know like fifteen that 's kind of the beginning of your you know your hormones have developed it 's kind of the beginning of your adult life in a way yeah you're still you 're still a kid but you're you are like becoming a man yeah and so this car is so representative of you you can never stop tinkering, you can never stop working and building it's and four improving. It's the 4-wheel version of me. That's exactly you know? right. Like the- that's exactly right. That's crazy. I mean, you can you'll have that car for the rest of your life. Yeah, I, no, I, I imagine. not can't, can't sell it. No.
2: Do you drive it or do you Yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. It's great. Yeah, and I race it and I've crashed it a couple times and rebuilt it again and it's like just goes on and on and on and on and it's it's awesome. It's really beautiful and lovely to drive and puts a smile on people's face it's it's yeah what does it still need is there anything that it still needs it's pre- no it's pretty much done i just replaced the gearbox before i came here last week and i'm just about to i couldn't start it before i left so i spent this whole trip thinking about <laughs> getting back and finishing it on monday and i'll be very happy i'll be very happy
0: you must absolutely personalize that like why are you not starting for me <laughs> what else do
2: you need yeah, so that's sh- I'm pretty much done. It's been pretty much done for about the last four or five years, so that was just one little thing that was hanging over my head.
0: Okay, but then how do you problem solve? I mean, how when you're standing over a car and there mm. are any number of things that it can be, obviously you know enough that you can isolate. It's probably this or this or this. Yeah. But how do, you, how do you problem solve that?
2: Well, because I literally know every single component of the car because the entire car is bespoke. It's, there's nothing left from the factory. Yes, it's a Ford falcon but not really it's just a ford falcon roof and panels and right every other component over the years has been you know developed to a basically a road going race car so i literally know every single part in the in the car so if there's a squeak i know exactly what i need to do and where it's coming from and what's causing it and what can be fixed and what can't what i've got to put up with what i you know what i mean so um it's, it's, it's kind of like my therapist, really. It's the Ford Eric. <laughs> <laughs> it is the $6 million man in a car version, basically.
0: That's great, though, because yeah. it also, again, that's a – I think being able to – maybe it's just part of our, our animal brains, but having a real-world thing yeah. to build and see and watch. You know, the creative pursuits are great but it's not as tangible, mm. but something you can put your hands on and set in an order. And, you know, like there's a predictability around this should work if I do this. Like yeah. that's really comforting.
2: And it's, a, it's an active thing. You know, it's an active thing. I can go for a drive in it. I can drive it to places. I can take someone for a drive in it. You know, it's like, um, it's, it's, it's something, something real. You and know? you can
0: say, okay, like, hey, you like this car? I, I made this car. <laughs> I put that in. You're sitting on a thing I put in there. What's your greatest achievement with that car, do you think?
2: Uh, look, I made a documentary about it uh, about ten years ago called Love the Beast, where I tried to sort of tell this story um, in a in a documentary format because yeah. I can, I realised that it, it had been like a bit of a glue for my whole life in terms of friendship and other things, and I so I made a documentary about it, and 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 that's been a really that was a in, in terms of like creative output, like thinking what do I what story have I got to tell as a storyteller, you know, so that was. That was a really, really important thing for me creatively and really connected with car people. And I get, you know, I'd say half of the people who pull me up now, um, that's what they want to talk about. They don't want to talk about the Hulk or Troy. It's like, you know, have you fixed your car and you know, how is it? And, you know, especially in Australia, but outside of Australia as a lot, especially in the US and the UK, um, a lot of car people have seen that. And that's what they want to talk to me about. It's weird.
0: Has it ever, besides that documentary, made an appearance in anything? No, no. Is you you want to keep it out of the business? Yeah, it, to- <laughs> it
2: doesn't have an agent. Yeah, because I was like, when no are, are you going to do <laughs> Love the Beast too? I'm like, no, 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 no. You, you,
0: no we did it. You've seen my girl. We that's did it's nice. good. It's all done. Oh, that's funny. That's really interesting. How, like that's it, it is kind of. It sounds like it's kind of a private thing in that sense. That you like you when you want to tell the story, it was in a very specific way. But you don't want to expose you don't want to expose her. In she any doesn't
2: other. do porn. She's like it's like you can talk to her. You know you can take some photos, but no, we've got our we've got our limits. Are you
0: are, do you are you do you like any kind of like advanced automotive technology or is it really just classic stuff? Is there anything I'm you're interested about? in it,
2: but not as a consumer. Got it. I, and I've gone I've gone the full. I've gone the I've gone all the way to the other end. I've like. You know, I don't like new cars. Now I'm just like, I cannot wait. I cannot wait for all these pricks who are on their phones to be in driverless electric cars. Right, 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 uh, right. I'm a cyclist as well. I cannot wait for that. I I really, I I thought that was going to be Armageddon. Now I'm just like, bring it on. And you know what? If, If I lived in LA and I had to drive five miles and it was just heavy traffic... Put me in one of those little eggshell things. that's electric, and it's going to just get me from A to B.
0: Yeah, I, I, I can't tell you how many.
2: We're not driving. We're not driving. We're just no. we're, we're just shuttling in in traffic. So I I've come full I've come full circle on that now. I'm just like bring it on. Bring yeah, it
0: on. That, that is a good point because I I feel like I've had a number of Uber drivers. And I'm like, could you please not be on your phone? Well, I'm yeah. in the back of your car, please. You know, and it's it's so second nature to people and everyone's like, Oh, I can, it's I can do both. I it's, can do both. It's
2: really frightening, especially on a motorcycle because you're just up that little bit high and you're looking down into cars. It is freaky. It is freaky how many people are on their on their phones and you know, every set of lights a horn goes off because the person at the front's not watching and it turns green and takes them five seconds to realise they should be gone. Like it's just what what's everyone doing? The thing that fascinates me is it's a phone.
0: Call the person. <laughs> call. Well, maybe I'm shazamming a song or maybe you know? I need to tweet a thing right now. But I, I guess that's the beauty of motorcycles is that you literally cannot text and cycle. Yeah. You-
2: well, even an old car, like my old, all my old cars are uh, you know, stick or what we call manual. The minute you hop in them, you, you your brain automatically makes that switch and just goes, well, I'm my phone's buzzing or, or there's a text coming. I can't look at it. I'm not going to look at it. Like your brain has already made that leap that you can't deal with that piece of information. Right. You just, you got your hands busy doing other things. And I think that's part of the problem with automatic transmission cars is that that's fed, you know, people not having much concentration, people vegging out, people just texting because it's a one-handed operation for most right. people. right. You know, um, if they're all driving around in a stick shift, I guarantee you they're not, they're not texting. Right, 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 right. They're not because at the lights, they've got to get it in first gear and get, keep their hand there for, for the change, you know? So that's, that's another
0: problem. Did you update any of the, are you a purist in the sense that, you are like I can't update the radio. It has to stay the way that it, it has was. no radio.
2: No radio. There's no stereo in the car. Oh, damn. Um, Yeah. No, I've, I've got three vehicles that have no no sound systems. Is
0: it just that you just like to hear quiet, or like you just need quiet, or you just like to hear the hum of the car? Do or know you know how be nice distracted? it
2: is! And when my kids hop in and they realise that that's that's not happening, I just I see their whole body language change. And they're big now; like my son's eighteen, my daughter's fifteen. But they love driving in the old stuff, and it's like, oh, there's nothing to Bluetooth. There's no button to press, and you can actually see the physical change in 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 the passenger's body when they realize that there's no buttons to press no distractions yeah
0: um i do want to as we're sort of like getting into the end of the the the, the glide down to the end of the podcast i do want to talk about the forgiven which is uh is a really fascinating story because it's like a hybrid it's based around a true period of time but your characters fictional Correct, but obviously Desmond Tutu is a real person. Yes. So, do you want to just talk a little bit about that so people know what it is? Sure. So, it's it's
2: around the time the end of apartheid, and as as happened, Nelson Mandela set up the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which was which was a body which uh, facilitated people's stories to be heard, um, uh, for and justice to be brought if someone had committed a crime during the apartheid period, if it was politically motivated, they could be pardoned. It was possible for them to seek uh, uh, forgiveness and, and to be given a pardon so that their crimes they wouldn't go to jail for. But in many cases, people did go to jail. But the idea was that for the country to heal and move forward, that this TRC was set up so that people could be given closure. And the testimonies are heartbreaking and and shocking and incredible my character is based on an amalgam sort of 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 a uh death squad policeman who went about doing things in the name of white south africa he's an african um white south africa uh during the apartheid period he's now in jail and desmond tutu comes to visit him to talk about the crimes he's committed assuming that i'm seeking redemption and forgiveness, which I'm not. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to infect him with the idea that there will be civil war, he's wasting his time, um, and I, I'm basically trying to get in his head. And it was based on a play, Forrest Whitaker plays Desmond Tutu, just completely disappears into the part. We shot it in a maximum security prison in Cape Town. Oh, wow. Um, we used... All of the Almost all of the people you see in the film that are in the jail are real ex-offenders, gang members who we basically trained to work on a film, some of whom deliver incredible performances. Um, and yeah, that's essentially what it's about.
0: And so was it uh, specifically in this case, do you get the script or do you get wind of it or do they approach you or...? or- like, how did, you, how did you come to it?
2: Yeah, so I had the script sent to me by Roland, Roland Joffé, who's the director, mm-hmm. who also directed The Mission and The Killing Fields, and loved it. Just, you know, it was like the, what every actor dreams of when you read that script, because it's based on a play. So much of the film, well, all the film almost for me, is being in a visitational room in the prison when Desmond Tutu comes to visit me, and there's a few very long dialogue-driven scenes between the two of us. Um, so I just was pinching myself. I knew Forrest was attached, um, luckily for me, and had been for some time. Uh, And they came to me and said, will you play the part of Blomfeld? I was like, absolutely. And and before I knew it, we were in Cape Town and we were shooting. So it was, uh, you know, very small film, but a very big film in many, many ways in terms of what it's trying to say and what it says about humanity and about forgiveness, and especially at a time right now where people are so far apart. And these two characters are. They they could not be further apart in terms of their ideals and what they're wanting out of life and what they want to achieve. And is it possible for one of them to move an inch?
0: Oh, wow. So it's a tug of war, basically. It's just a tug of war. Yeah. Um, So it comes out the ninth. Uh, is it wide release? or Is it started limited, or is it it's everywhere? It's a
2: it's a relatively s- uh, small release, and then it, it widens the following week, and then is on VOD and I believe iTunes as well. Fantastic, yeah. So so people will be able to access it very very quickly, um, which which I think is great. You know, um, I think it's one of those films that you just want people to see
0: it. Yeah, and then. Uh, and then the pointer movie right and then that's next <laughs> straight after <laughs> i think
2: following serious racial drama with with a uh, bogan from australia that no one can understand makes complete sense
0: bogan is that that, that means redneck you redneck. said yeah. yeah okay good to know um and then lastly because you've had such a, an incredible almost two careers uh What have you, you know, what, what are you learning still? Or what do you, what have you, what have you learned from all that stuff? You know, every time you come off something, you must, Mm. you must take away some bits of knowledge. So now that you have some wisdom and, you know, all these different types of projects under your belt, like, what do you, what do you, what do you think you've learned from all of it?
2: Oh, it's, it's interesting. I definitely feel like I'm I'm getting to the end of chapter two. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And 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 chapter. I think there's like a rejig for chapter three. I think I think most people are at that point because the industry is so different, and you have to self-generate. You have to think differently. You have to be open to doing different things. Um, so I I feel like that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. I feel like there's a third chapter that that needs to sort of unfold. That could be a mixture of different things
0: do you ever think singing dancing i mean it's time my friend hugh stand aside i mean seriously hugh jackman dance off that oscar yeah. stage make room for Bennett oh yeah see like you you totally could host an a, you could host an award show wait a I minute i couldn't host a pie night come on uh, yes couldn't. you could no 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 you no. absolutely could not for me, Chris. All right, you, 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 the training is in your gene;
2: it's in your blood. No, I was never—I was never a great MC. You know, you, you have to—you have to pass that baton when you're in the stand-up circuit. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You go through the MC thing. I was—it was okay, but um, no, it's not—it's not in me.
0: Have you ever been in? Have you have you been in situations where you start wanting to crack a joke and you feel like no, I need to be serious, Eric? I can't.
2: Um. So many of your questions are so damn good.
0: Um,
2: <laughs> no, it's so funny because I always feel terrible after I've done tonight shows. Oh, really? Always. There's zero. There's zero um, post tonight show format euphoria for me because I always come off feeling like uh, should have been better, should have been funnier, should have. And it's like because you're still viewing things as a as a comic, and then you're going, no, no, you're there to talk about a movie you there better talk about something serious. Like, yeah, you, you know, there's light moments, but that that I always still find that hard. Still find all
0: that stuff hard. It's probably better not to take big swings too, with the context of that, because if the audience, if yeah. the the audience always needs a little bit of context, yeah. And if you just if you come out swinging hard. You know, they, they they might be a little off-put if they don't know that about you. Yeah,
2: no, I, I definitely learned that early on. I learned two things. A, for the first 10 seconds, they can't understand a word I'm saying. <laughs> and they're calibrating the fact that I'm Australian. Doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. And the second thing is that they actually, they're not real. It's kind of like that stand-up thing. It's like they're not yet ready to receive a joke from you. Right. So there's no point wasting anything in the first 30 seconds to a minute because yes. the brain hasn't really recalibrated yet that you might even possibly do something like that. Do you know what I mean? So yes. I have learnt that over time. So I, I've had to explain to my son who just like is always completely ashamed that, that I haven't done enough impersonations or, you know, <laughs> like being as stupid as I am at home. And I'm like, but they don't really know that, you know, it's okay. It's, it's different, different Based. I,
0: I, um, I got to present at the Emmys last year, and I was, at, I was really stressed about it because I'm like, I'm not doing anything funny. I'm not – I can't right, figure out how right. to – and my manager gave me the best advice. He goes, just don't get hurt. <laughs> in other words, like, don't take, you don't need to take a big swing. You just need to not get hurt. And I was like, oh, my god. You're right. It doesn't – I mean, yes, I would love to come out and tell a joke that lights Kill. that audience on fire because, yeah. wow, what an ego. Right? You know, Nicole Kidman sitting in the front row. Like, Wrong. what a – and then when I when I got real about it, I was like I couldn't think of anything. I'm like, you know what? I just need to
2: not get hurt. Not take a bullet. Get t- off and just Yeah, it's really it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because you just say to yourself, I've gotta do something here. I've gotta to, gotta to, gotta to, gotta to, yeah. Gotta land one. But sometimes it's just <laughs> not it's not not reality.
0: Sometimes it's more important to not whiff one (laughs) than it is to take the risk to it's like really learning like not every time do you have (laughs) to try to knock it out of the park because it's not always it's not always going to work and those award shows are the hardest I can't imagine no yeah but even though like even at the Oscars it's like everyone's just It's you know there's a lot of seat fillers at those award shows and people are just thinking about them their own thing and they're not. The
2: best thing you can do is be quick. Just be quick. Really, yeah. What everyone wants more than anything else is expedite that thing. Yeah,
0: exactly. Let's get you in and out of here. It's not going to be a four hour show. But um, well, this was really delightful. I appreciate you coming in and talking and you know and who knows maybe your chapter three it's maybe it's a return (laughs) maybe it's a return to hardcore comedy. He's not going to let
2: this go. I just... It's, Chris will not be satisfied until you know he why? sees me dying on stage. Not somewhere.
1: at
0: all. It's just, it's just that it's such a difficult skill to cultivate. And right, you right. did. And it just feels like it's just there. Yeah. It's just
2: there. It's always there. But it's still so far away it's there but it's so far away it's so far like away. it's like that audience member on the other side of the dance floor there's you still know, the dance just, floor in between you and there's dance. a big dance floor there's like a ballroom <laughs> there's like eric a ballroom and some people standing outside the building somewhere
0: well and and, and then when we wrap this up maybe if it's not too forward you'll show me a picture of your car do you oh, show yeah. Do you show a picture of your car Ooh, that's a good question
2: uh on my american phone i'll try okay I'll
0: try. you're doing great awesome uh <laughs> thanks so much enjoy your burrito everyone ID10T scanning complete. Enjoy
2: your burrito.